Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Claret and Blue. We've got another former Villa hero, special guest in the form of Super Tommy Johnson. How are you, Tommy? So, Matt, yeah, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying watching the Euros. So, it's all good at the minute until tomorrow when it's supposed to be lashing down. So, just enjoying it while we can. We're going to take you on a bit of a trip down memory lane to your time. It seems a long, long time ago <laughs> Go now, your time, time playing, <laughs> playing for Villa. Before we do that, what we try and do sometimes is ask people about their football upbringing. And was it always football for you as a kid in the North East? Definitely, yeah. I think my mum and dad said from an early age, as soon as I could walk, I'd be out on the on the grass with uh, all the older kids, just kicking a ball around, jumpers for goalposts and all that. And it was, I think my recollection is, is of the same just getting out and getting away from the elder lads who were going to kick you to shreds. So, as I said, jumpers for goalposts, playing with the kids, uh, playing for the school, playing for the district, playing for the county, and playing for my Sunday team. Uh, so, yeah, to be perfectly honest, Matt, there was nothing else uh, in my mind. I just wanted to play football. Was it always as a centre-forward scoring goal? No, Uh I played midfield, I played left wing, I played right wing, I played centre forward. Even when I started as an apprentice, uh, I think it took a while for probably myself and the coaches to, I don't know, realise what my best position was. To be fair, I still don't know what my best position was, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, We'll probably go into more of that in a bit later when the gaffer signed us, uh, Brian. But... uh, no, I think from an early age it was it, well. I'll put it this way: I wasn't going to be a defender. I know that. So after that, you could take your pick from the forward positions. Would there have been a plan B? You know, were, you, were your mum and dad kind of saying to you, Tommy, listen, you've got to have you've got to have a safety net, or was it just tunnel vision football? I think I remember even in the fifth year at school uh, when we you had the options of what to do in PE, and I pick trampoline and instead of football, do you know what I mean? Because I knew I was I was playing it on a Saturday and a Sunday. I just wanted to enjoy myself at school. Uh, the only thing I really done at school was French. Everybody laughs, you know, because of my accent. But I love languages, you know, I've done French uh, at school and it was probably going to be something along them lines if, if, I, if I didn't make it as an apprentice anyway. So, uh, but it, my forefront was I was I was I wasn't being arrogant, but I thought you know I'd have a chance of being an apprentice, and it proved to be the case. So we'll fast forward to the, the Villa years in a minute, but I just wanted to kind of check how did you end up with Notts County was your, your big break, wasn't it? How did you end up there from you know it's it's quite a distance from from Newcastle to to Notts County. Yeah, I think it was with most clubs at the time, and even more so now with the academies. We had a we had a northeast scout, John Allen, uh, sadly passed away when I was at Celtic. But uh, he was the main scout for Notts County in the North East. And 
he spotted us playing for my school and my Sunday team and, you know, wanted us to come down for trials. And to be perfectly honest, Matt, as soon as I went there, I didn't want to go anywhere else. You know, it was, I was just shy of my 14th birthday and had a week down. And to be perfectly honest, that was it. I loved it. Do you know, I loved the whole family club. I was helping with the apprentice jobs, you know. I started playing reserves at 15. Uh, other clubs came in for us, you know, and I, in the end, it was a choice between obviously Newcastle staying at home or going away in Notts County. And I'm still living in the area, so I must have made the right choice. I, I don't know whether you've seen it, but there's a brilliant video of you and a young Mark Draper being interviewed by um, Neil Warnock on YouTube. Have you seen that? I've definitely seen it. Don't worry about that. I think we've been tucked up many a time, me and Drapes, for that one. I think the gaffer <laughs> fancied himself as a bit of a journalist and a commentator and an interviewer. So I don't know what, yeah, but yeah, it does pop up now and again on all the WhatsApp groups. <laughs> so let's fast forward to when you, you joined Villa then. I think I'm right in saying that you were one of Brian's first signings when you arrived. I think, was it January 95? January 95, you... yeah. Uh, Tales are signed, I think, in the November and December. And then me and Charles, he joined, uh, it was a week before me, uh, week before me 24th birthday, yeah. So uh, I think we... We'd known for a while, you know, after the... It's, it's ironic, I've mentioned it all the time. We, The previous summer, Derby had played Leicester in the playoff. We were playing for Derby. The gaffer was at Leicester. If Derby had gone up, you know, we would have signed new contracts and stayed at Derby. Uh, we didn't. The gaffer goes up with Leicester, then leaves Leicester six months later and then signs us. So it's, I don't know, what, what do you call it? Fair, lucky, unlucky or what? But uh, it's strange how it worked out. But once we knew... Uh, the, the gaffer and Villa were interested. I think it was just a case of trying to get it done in the SEP. So how does it work when you when you arrive as a double act? Then is it do you, do you have much say in that move? Is it, is it does it happen above your oh, heads? Yeah, or? yeah. At the end of the day, it's a, if you're not happy with, with the club, I think it was you know obviously we had, we had the same agent, me and Charlesy. Uh, so once they'd been in contact, I think it was just a, 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 there were. A, sorting a fee out and then the agent agrees personal terms which was never going to be a problem for us uh, and then no doubt it was me who was driving down to Birmingham took me and Charlesy down so because uh, we didn't live too far away from each other to be fair uh, so we got down and obviously when you're going around the, the stadium and then you sit down with this big gaffer as a pair and as an individual you just realise how big a club it was and still is, to be honest. You know, I'm not taking any away from the fact. But uh, it was we went round the training ground, which was at the time one of the best. Even and you know, you go down to Villa now, and and it's gone up again. It's gone up again. It's one of the best in the country. So uh, once we knew that was that they were interested, there was never probably any doubt that we were going to sign. Did you feel like you'd kind of properly arrived? When you, when you, I mean, with, with no disrespect intended to your, your previous clubs, when you got at Villa, did you think, blimey? Well, in the Premier League, you know, we, I, I think with any, I've always mentioned throughout my career, you know, I started at Notts because I knew I'd have a, a better chance of getting in the first team at an earlier age than if I'd said gone to Newcastle or another Premier League or Championship club at the time. So, uh, and then no disrespect to Notts, but Derby, you know, came in for us. I loved living in the area. Arthur Cox, who I'd spent many a time where, you know, I re respected him anyway because of what he'd done at Newcastle as a manager. So that was another 
a stepping stone, shall we say. We didn't get promoted with Derby and, you know, still in the championship. And I just felt that it was the right time to to progress my career again. And, and when Villa come up, it was a step up again. No disrespect to Derby, but at the time, Derby in the championship, Villa in the, in the Premier League and had won the cup two years before. New manager and, and we knew what the gaffer was trying to do. You know, bring young players in, you know, uh, under Ron Atkinson. I think it was, everybody was well aware of the fact that it was an aging squad and, and the gaffers come in and wanted to bring the, the average age down. So, in the end, it was, as I mentioned, it was a no-brainer. Uh, no-brainer at all. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Brian. Because we've had, we've had Brian on, on the podcast, you know, in, in recent months. And I think, I think he... He had a real soft spot for you. I think it's probably because he liked you as a guy and you've got the kind of the, the background of both being from the northeast. But I think Brian kind of, and we'll come to when you left Villa, you know, we'll get to there in, in time, but almost felt frustrated that he couldn't get you more. You know, I think he, he respected you so much that he wanted you to be more involved than you perhaps were. Yeah, I'll go back to what I mentioned before. Matt, you know, uh, when I first signed and sat down with a gaffer uh, on my own, you know, obviously he'd sat down with Charlesy as well and he. He said he'd been chasing us for months. I remember a game we played for Derby just before Christmas. It was live on the Sunday and I'd scored. And I think after that, he decided, yeah, but this is it. We've got to go and get him. Uh, I sat down with the gaffer and he explained how he wanted to do, how tactically the team wanted to play and where I fit in. And he, and he always said from day one, he says, I see you as a number 10. You know, I don't say he was an out and out centre forward. I say he was a number ten, and I was and I was thinking, no, so I'm a centre forward. I want to score goals. You know, that's what I do. But uh, so even now, when I say the gaffer, I always say he was right because that was the most. I absolutely loved it playing as a ten. You know, I didn't know what I was doing half the time. So God knows what my teammates and the, the gaffer and his staff thought. But yeah, we had a great relationship even when I wasn't playing. And it, and God, you look at the squads nowadays. And it, it is a squad game, and yeah, I would have liked to have played more, definitely. But uh, you know, when I felt when I did play, you know, I, I don't, I don't okay. <laughs> you know, I wasn't blessed with the, the most skill in the world, but uh, I enjoyed playing football, and I enjoyed working hard, and, and had a good attitude, and, and scoring goals. And the time I had at Villa was was fantastic. The two and a half, three years I was there, you know, we won, we won the cup, we. We come fourth and fifth in the league, and you know we got the semi-final of the FA Cup. So who and we had a vibrant dressing room. It was, it was, uh, it was brilliant to be a part of. And me and the gaffer had a special relationship. You know, I've I've, I've done podcasts and things like this for Villa, and I've actually been shown what the gaffer said about us. You know, which is which was brilliant. And he's top man, and we still have that special relationship today. I was speaking to, to Lee Hendry a few months ago about when he played for Villa, he was saying that the gaffer was this kind of super serious, you know, shirt and tie, always, you know, immaculate every day, wanting to set the highest standards and probably had to almost put a game face on. You, whereas when he's met him since the since he's retired, since Brian's retired from management and Lee's retired from playing, you can see that kind of mischievous, cheeky side of Brian coming out. Is that is that your experience as well? I wouldn't, I would, I would agree with Enders, yeah. When we had to work, we did work. And the gaffer, as you said, I wouldn't say he was a silent assassin, but he didn't have to shout and and get angry. You know, he comes across as a quiet man, and he, and he is, and he gets his point across without being forceful. 
But yeah, I've seen the side of him where he does like to have a laugh and he has got that mischievous side. I think he had a Harley Davidson or motorbike. So, uh, I don't know whether that was when he was playing or when uh, when he was manager. And he used to always say to us, because we had our car school from Nottingham, me, Mark Draper, Gary Charles, uh, Franz Carr. And he, and he always used to say, I bet you have some laugh in that car. And he says, I'd love to come over and see you and all that. And actually, I think, when I left, or when the gaffer had left, we we all met in Nottingham, you know, and went out for. We took him to some of our haunts in Nottingham when, uh, and he loved it. He loved it. But you you've got to have that balancing act, Matt. I've been a manager, you know, obviously since I've retired and and I've done coaching and you know been into manager and all that. And you have got to have that uh, serious side, shall we say? You've got to have that. You know when to be okay with the lads but you knew when when you just back off and let your staff deal with them I know you you say you were still Nottingham based but did you all used to go and hang about down Liberties down the Agley Road in Birmingham or did you did you ever go drinking <laughs> in town or you know better than me Matt don't you yeah well obviously <laughs> living down there and a few of the lads yeah we used to have our nights out down there don't get me wrong and uh and we used to you know, make our way to Nottingham. It was sometimes we'd go out in Nottingham, sometimes we'd go out in Birmingham. Because uh, you had the likes of obviously uh, Hugo, God bless, and uh, Yorkie, Bozzy, Towner, who lived around Sutton Coldfield area and the Birmingham area, and Tails, obviously, who was uh, who didn't like a night out, not. Uh, so he knew where to go, and, and yeah, of course, we, we went out in Birmingham. Uh, and Sutton Coldfield as well. We had our Christmas deals there, but the time in our lives there from, say, 95 to, to the gaffer left would, would, would say they thoroughly enjoyed it, and we did. <laughs> it was more, you know, that, that was more, my era, but Ron, big Ron and then Brian, you know, I was late teens and stuff and really, really into it then. I'm fascinated what it must have been like. The Premier League was had arrived, but wasn't quite, hadn't quite exploded that how it, how it did now. So kind of what, what kind of cars were you driving? What was your diet like and that kind of thing? <laughs> cars. Well, we used to get club cars off Rora. So we had them, but I wasn't into cars. If you spoke to drapes, you know, we grew up together. We, we, we started, we'd known each other since we were 14. So, uh, drapes was the one who loved cars, you know, he bought, because he lived at home in Nottingham, he learned to drive straight away and then bought his cars, bought his cars. I was the other way because our drapes could pick me up for training. I bought me flat first, you know, that was my way of thinking and I didn't pass me test till I was 19. But it wasn't uh, an arrogance with drapes. He just loved cars and I think he, what did he have? Renault 5, GT Turbo, for those who know about cars, which was an absolute flying machine. And then when we went to Villa, he bought a, a BMW M3. And then the other lads started buying them, like Yorkie and Bozzy and Hugo, I think. But I wasn't into cars. I think I had a Golf, Golf, uh, what was it, Golf VR6. I liked little small cars because anyone who knows us, I'll crash them. You know, I, I think we were going to a game once from hours and I was driving. So we had the, the four of us in the car and we got to the junction of the roundabout up here, junction 24 on the M1. And I just was it was traffic lights and someone had stopped and, and I just went into the straight into the back of them and apparently I said, did I hit him? And these lot were absolutely creased up laughing, you know, so I always used to have small cars. Uh, as I said, I'd prefer to 
buy me house and buy a flat and then buy a house, bigger house and bigger house. But uh, yeah, food wise, yeah, we ate well. We had a good canteen at Villa. Um, the girls used to look after us and I think it was just starting then because Arsene Wenger had come in at Arsenal and all that. And I think the, the mindset of looking after yourself and your diet, nutrition, drinking, I know we like in that era it was and the eras before it was, you know, you play on a Saturday and you just go out, which we did. You know, I think if you obviously if you play now, there's so much made of sports science and you wouldn't drink, to be honest, Matt. You you wouldn't. You'd be you'd be living like a hermit, you wouldn't be going to restaurants and all that because of social media as well. I think that's got a lot to do with it. But uh, I think as time evolves, everybody changes the way and there's different eras and, and this era is now that there is a lot of sports science and they, they won't drink and because it's bad for you. And we know that, but we didn't realise that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the uh, the video that, that some of you were on where you were asked, asked to, to name your favourite drink? I think it was a club video. Yeah, we've done the club video because that gets flagged up now and again as well on the WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's when Drapes was in his element, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and I think I remember I was saying lager but, and tea and all that. But you could see it then. I think if you said it now, you get frowned upon. But uh, and I think uh, obviously Maka was saying Guinness and Towner was saying Guinness because of the Irish connection. But uh, yeah, it was a good laugh, that video, to be honest. <laughs> I've never touched a drop. I drink tea for fun. <laughs> well, anyone who knows us probably knew I was lying. And as you can imagine, I was probably laughing my head off at the time when I said it. I can't quite remember the game, but there was a game, and I'm sorry to, to, to bring this up, but there was a game where you got so nervous that you ended up puking on the pitch, wasn't there? Was yeah. that your home debut? No, it was Tottenham, the Tottenham game, I think it was at home. It, it goes back probably years, Matt. I, w- I didn't really do it at Notts County because... I would say I was young and you just went out and enjoyed football. We got two promotions and all that. And then I think probably when I went to Derby and you think you, there's pressure now. So I always used to be sick at half time for some strange reason. Nervous tension and whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then it just carried on when I went to Villa, obviously the bigger move again. And this particular game, I wasn't sick at half time. So I've come out and then... <laughs> And I, yeah, I was puking on the pitch just after half time. And so, like Jim, Jim Walker after the game, the physio, who was top man, he dragged us in. He went, You all right? And I went, Yeah, I'm all right. I said, I, I, said, I do it all the time, Jim. I said, I normally do it at half time, but I'm, I'm just so happens my body clock's gone wrong somewhere. And I've done it just after half time. He went, Have you got anything to tell us? And I went, What do you mean? <laughs> well, do you know what? You know, are you drinking or is it drugs? I said, I just started laughing. I went, no, Jim, I said, it's just something I do. I think it's just nervous tension. But then as I got older, it just sort of, it went away. <laughs> so I think it was just nervousness. It's weird. I mean, I don't want to get bogged down in that for too long, but you know, if, if somebody pukes at school, they throw some sawdust over it, don't they? Don't, what do they do if somebody pukes on the halfway line? I was just kicking the grass probably and putting, putting some mud over it, but uh, <laughs> just one of them things, Matt. <laughs> Just in, in terms of your relationship with, with Villa fans, Tommy, because from living memory from the generation when I've watched Villa, I can't recall somebody who, I don't, I don't want to call you a bit part player, because I think you were more than that, and I think you were more than a super sub, but I don't know a player who's been there three years and not been a first-team starter, shall we say, who has developed such a strong affinity 
with the fans because everybody I know yeah. of my generation, older, a little bit younger, just, I don't know, we're just drawn to you, really. I don't know. And Well, I do know. I know like it's the same as well. It works both ways because I love the Ville fans and then they invented the Super Tommy Johnson shout, you know, so, and whatever I was so and I'd come on and you could hear them. Even at uh, even at Wembley when, you know, I was sub, I'd been out for six weeks and I only trained the day before the game. So even then warming up at Wembley and the fans are shouting shouting your name. Yeah, uh, I just have that great affinity. As I said, I wasn't the most gifted player, you know, I never had Yorkie's skill or Drapes' skill, but I just worked hard and, and enjoyed playing football. That's what, that's That's what it is. And, you know, I managed to hire a few goals in as well, which helped. But uh, it wasn't always the case, wasn't it? I think it, it took till the Wimbledon game when I, after I first signed to, for them to probably think, yeah, he, he is half decent, shall we say. But uh, no, I'll, I'll, the fans were different class. And as you said, you, you meet them now. We still meet them at our age and a little bit younger and older. And it's just everything was positive. So you mentioned that mentioned that Wimbledon game. Um, I didn't think Villa would ever score seven at Villa Park again until they battered Liverpool seven last season. But none of us were there to witness it. But that that Wimbledon game, I think it was a perfect hat trick as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I. So I got to, and I didn't realise till years later someone had mentioned it, and I went, "Oh, it was." I think that was the turning point. Matt, as I said, I'd struggled early doors. The team was struggling. Uh, you know, the gaffer had come in and he wanted to implement his way we play. We were, were hovering around the relegation places for a while. I'd come in, played a couple of games, hadn't set the world on fire, shall we say. i uh, been left out for a couple of games and then everything just clicked for the Wimbledon game. And I think after that, it, that, w- that was it. You know, I think I got injured a bit, but we managed to avoid relegation. And, and we knew what the gaffer was trying to implement that we, we'd be a force the, the following season. The second one, I think I was on the goal line from a corner, could have been offside, tapped it in with my right foot. And the, and the last one, the ball over the top, was it? And I think I was 1v1 and just slid it slid it uh, past the keeper. So it was, uh, I needed it, to be fair, if I'm being too thirty, uh, because I, I had been struggling. I was going to ask you, and I've got the stats down here somewhere, if you bear with me a moment. I think he scored 17 goals by, according to Rob Bishop's um, complete record of Aston Villa. And, and Bish asked me to pass on his best regards to you, by the way. 17 goals in 71 appearances, which was 49 starts and 20, 22 subs. That's that's not a bad return, is it, in the Premier League? One goal in four for somebody who's not playing regularly and not playing as, a, as an out-and-out centre-forward. You must be pleased with that. I, I'm not classing the subs as appearances, though, Matt. So you can see it was one in three. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, it was. It's funny. I think all through my career, and the gaffer said uh, Neil Warnock when I first started, I'd miss the easy chances. I think there's a game at Villa where I think York against Leicester. I've hit the ball from two yards, and York has put the rebound in. You know, I would, I would be like that. I'd score the more difficult ones and miss the easy ones. So. But my motto was, and Drapes will be ever get him on and all that, my motto was to shoot on sight. The amount of times the lads would moan because I'd have a shot, but my motto was, if you don't shoot, you don't score. So I was a right greedy so-and-so, yeah, and I, and I don't mind admitting it. But, uh, yeah, I think throughout my career, my me, me goal-scoring record wasn't too bad. So, uh, you know, and I used to celebrate with the lads like Tails and Drapes and everyone. 
because it would probably you never know it would have, might have been the last goal that I'd ever scored so I was going to make sure I celebrated properly It's funny you should mention tiles and goal celebrations because we, we got him on I don't know a month or so ago to talk about the anniversary 25 years since since Villa won the, the, the yeah. cup in 96 and he was saying did you, you used to used to room room with him I was. I used to room with tails. I. You used to. What I think it was. Um, Vic and Bob shooting stars or something. You used to stay up and oh, watch that. Stars every Friday night. Yeah. In the hotel room and, and try and work out goal celebrations. Oh yeah, we used to get like the Ranu and Doug from above and all that, and we used to just sit down and say, right, what we're going to do today when we score? You know, it was that's the way it was. And then I think there's a couple with the old school photo with arms crossed and all that, but. Uh, oh. And tails like they probably dance because he could tie a few moves out. Do you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, we used to watch shooting stars on the Friday night and then decide what goal celebration we're going to do on the Saturday. He was saying you ruined his big moment at Wembley because he was about to do some fancy celebration and then you come and jumped on his back from the from the sidelines. <laughs> we've got to get a part of it, Matt. Do you know what I mean? Uh, as I said, he'd been there. Uh, I think I'd been out six weeks, so I was just delighted to be a part of it, you know, in the gaffer. The only, the only gripe with the gaffer is he never put us on, you know. I was getting in his logo and saying, come on, gaffer, it's 3-0. You can just put us on, do you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, when Tails scored, and that was it, one at New York, and, and Sab scored a great goal, the open up. But uh, that day we battered Leeds. No one, we couldn't believe that Brian Dean and Rod Wallace were in the stand or not on, or, or not starting, shall we say, if the, on the bench but uh, now we battered them absolutely deserved the win and uh, you know it was just great to be part of it after being out so long being injured Do you still get a medal for that Tommy? I do yes yes it's uh, stuck with the other ones <laughs> so I'm big headed then don't I? <laughs> Where I live we've got a safe in, in the utility room but for some reason I can't open it so they're all in there <laughs> like we medals I got from Celtic and playoff stuff and the League Cup medal for Villa so I'm going to have to get one of my mates around to like to bomb it or something like that and get it open because <laughs> they're all st- uh, the medals are stuck in there Tales was saying as well about that that night he said he doesn't remember anything about the celebrations oh. other than you ended up somewhere with a piano and you got a stupid wig on your head <laughs> I had the wig on from the game you know, after the game, we look at the photos now and going, Gordon, but what you got clout and blue wig on? You've got red hair anyway, that's enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, we all stayed down in the, ho- uh, the hotel where we're staying. We all had the top floor. Someone was on a piano and we, all friends and family were there. It was, up, it was fantastic. The club looked after us, you know, unbelievably well. And as you can imagine, early hours of the morning before we before we left and the ironic thing is Matt we were playing Liverpool the next Saturday you know in the FA Cup semi-final if you'd said to people now how did you what would happen like if they were doing it nowadays it would be back on the bus you'd be in training the next morning having a cool down and all that but uh, that's just the way it was then and I'm sure that all the Liverpool lads are out the weekend before anyway because the Spice Boys at the time shall we say they would have been out but uh, no, we celebrated. It was brilliant. As I said, you never know if it's going to be the last time that you're going to celebrate. So, yeah, we, we, it was a fantastic weekend. Notwithstanding the ridiculous amounts of money that are in top-flight football now, do you think? Do you feel like you got the best of it in a way that you got 
you know, decent, decent money, good level of fame, if you like, and a good level of acclaim playing in front of big crowds. But you could still actually be a normal person at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, people say, do you, would you like to play now? And you can say yes, no, whatever, because of the financial rewards. But then you look at the stuff off the pitch with social media. And I said, you can't even go to a, they can't even go to a restaurant and they'll be on social media seeing such and such out. But do they know any, any different, Matt? They don't, because that's the way they've been brought up nowadays. We were brought up in that era where we could go out. You know, we could play football. We could have a few pints after the game, uh, have a couple of days off and go again. You can't change what was bait. And I don't begrudge anybody financially-wise what they got. A lot of people, a lot more players were on a hell of a lot more money than me. So, you know, I was happy with what I'd signed at all of my clubs. Money was never my intention anyway. And don't get me wrong, yeah, I've had a good, I've had a great life. And if someone had said to me at 16, what would you have achieved in the game he'd snap the hands off snap the hands off uh, but you know it's down to the clubs that they get all the money you know it's not down to the individual and that's the way it's gone there isn't a horrendous amount of money in the game uh, my feeling is uh, I've got my sister's a nurse and what we've been through the past year you know the the likes of nurses and doctors policemen firemen you know the services deserve they deserve the world you know, and, and if they need to get a, I don't know, 5% pay rise, give it to them because they deserve it. No, I agree completely with that. Spoken about your, your goal celebrations briefly. What do you think was the your favourite goal at Villa? Either it could have been an important one that, that you scuffed in or it could have been, you know, a worldie that you've belted in from, from I never 40 yards. I never said in, Matt. What are you about? <laughs> yeah, someone said, obviously, Villa, Villa, Villa played Wolves in the League Cup was it last year or the year before and there was a lot of attention and it was the last time we played them when and I've seen the video from the goal when we beat uh, Wolves and I think it was the quarterfinals it might have been and Charles he's crossed it again I think and I've and God knows how it's gone in because it's come off me left I'm only two yards out and it's hit the it's gone wide and it's hit the keeper and gone in and I'm like that was going back to before I'd score the hard ones and miss the easy ones that was probably the most important one getting us into the semi-final. My best one, I think, against Newcastle, scored uh, at home with the header. But I think the best one was West Ham away. Uh, I'd come on, I was sub, and I'd come off. And I'd, I was on the left-hand side of the area, and I stuck it in the top corner on the other side. But I think that was the best one I scored, uh, the hat-trick. But I think the most important one was the Wolves one when we when we got through to the semi-final. Tell us a bit, a little bit more about you, you and Drapes then, because we've got a very narrow, narrow frame of reference. We, you know, we the thing that sticks in my mind was that famous quote from him about wanting to play for a, a big Italian club like Barcelona. Do you remember that one? Barcelona, yeah, that is Drapes. But he'll keep telling you he's got eight all levels or eight JCSAs or whatever we took at the time. So Drapes is. He is, for someone so dopey, he is very intelligent as well. As he says, he's got eight O levels. But we just clicked straight away. I thought his name was actually Grapes when I first met him, when I come down as a 13, 14-year-old. So I was calling him Grapes for six months, and he went, do you actually know my, what my surname is? I went, yeah, Draper. And then, so watch it. They call me Drapes. <laughs> so we just, do you know, I spoke to him that he's, I spoke to him yesterday, he's just tried to ring his ear, so 
he'd be trying to arrange a game of golf, I think. But uh, we just clicked straight away. I got me moved to Derby, then he went to Leicester, and then eventually we met up again at Villa. But uh, still very, very close. And what a player. Unbelievable player. Engine, skillful, up and down as a midfielder. And, you know, I see the, I see the people now. He, he should have... I know England had a very, very good midfield at the time. I had a good team at the time, shall I say, but I thought Drake should have played more for England. I suppose it's because you were thrown together so young, but do you think you're kind of like-minded people anyway? You know, you've got the same approach to yeah. life, that's why you've got on. Yeah, we we are. You know, I think we're both driven. As, and and then Drake actually says I would, I was probably not more driven than him, but because I wasn't as skillful or, or I had to work a lot more harder at my game, he said I would trample over anyone to make sure I would have I, I made it. And he's probably right. I think that's just that inner, inner, not inner belief, but inner strength that we had. You know, I've come from the northeast. I've come away from home, and it, it does take time to settle. You know, and, and my thinking was, I don't want to go back home. Yeah, I love Newcastle, but I've come here to make a, a career for myself, and we'll see what happens. And I think it was that inner strength which just made us, made us carry on and. And, and made sure that I did make it. Uh, Drapes was the same. Uh, unbelievable player, as I mentioned. I think Greg mentions in that video, John Gregory, if Mark Draper wants to play for England, he will. You know, And I said he should have played a lot more for England. Definitely. Uh, but as a, as, a, as a midfielder, he had everything. Apart from a left foot. <laughs> like a wet fish. <laughs> Looking back, when you arrived at, at Villa, I think the... It was Daniel Atkinson and Dean Saunders just being slowly eased out, I think, by by Bryant. Did you think that when those two kind of obstacles had moved out of your way, that you'd have more of a clear run? Because it was tended to be the Dwight and Savo show, didn't it, when when those two had gone? Did I? Well, I, I, signed, I was signing as a centre-forward, even though the gaffer had pre-empted that he'd want to play the system that he played and he'd want me to have a free role. And as I mentioned, he was right. You know, when I played in that number 10 role, I loved it. I had the freedom of the park. But yeah, I was, you know, I was going there initially probably as a squad player and then to work my way into the team. As you mentioned, there was Dalian, you know, uh, Dalian and uh, Dino. Uh, Yorkie, the gaffer, had, I think Yorkie had been playing midfield for a bit and the gaffer had, it made him into a centre forward, and then we bought Sabo. So you think, and oh, I'm going to have some work to do. Which you you think that anyway? You're not automatically going to be first choice. But then, uh, as the team settled, I think Towner got injured, and then I got into the team and and was playing as a number ten, and I loved it. And, and as I said, he was right. I I was a number ten for the system that we played at Villa. You know, when I went to Celtic, I played centre forward uh, because of the system that we played up there. But uh, I absolutely loved it. I think we played Sheffield United in the cup away and it was debatable whether it was going to be on because of the snow. It was on a Sunday afternoon. And I remember Mitch Ward was man-to-man marking us. So anywhere I went, he was just standing next to us. So half the time I was just stood on the left wing and just going, come on then, Mitch, you know. And it was, it was so surreal. And that was that was a compliment to me to, and in the system that we were playing that the that, the, the gaffer was playing that he had someone to man to man Marcus but I just had the freedom of the pitch that must have been like a real sign of trust from, from Brian to you that must have made you feel 
you know, really, really like the man, I suppose. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and the thing was, I worked back as well, man. I wasn't one of those who would just stand up front alongside Yorkie and Sabo or, or, uh, or Jockey when he came in, Julian Joshim. It was, you know, I'd, I'd work back as well because I knew I had to. The way the gaffer and his staff installed into us, working hard without the ball. You know, you look at that. We, we were a fit team, very, very fit team. It was quite a pioneering system from Brian as well, wasn't it? There weren't many weren't many people playing the, the three three at the back back then. We see it now. I said we were the first ones to do a three five two or three four one two, shall we say now with me in front, but it was mainly a three five two. And you know, uh look at Germany, Germany done it last night, you know, watching the game and, and, and you see in the Premier League now. But we had the adaptability to change it if we had to, but we didn't really have that too much because we were so successful with it. You know, we had wing back like Charles E, Steve Staunton, Wrighty, and then uh, Nelson when he came in, Fernando Nelson, who was so fit that they could get up the pitch and then get back as well. You just mentioned the Euros, and I promise I won't, I won't mention all of your teammates, but it, it, it seems topical to mention Gareth Southgate uh, with the job, job he's doing now. Listen, I know you never had a crystal ball 25 years ago, but could you always see him as management material? I think you could definitely see him staying in the game when we finished. He was very meticulous. He always took things in very studious, the gate was. Yeah, a great lad as well. You know, we, we still speak. When he's doing interviews, you know, you, now you could see that's what he was like then, back in back in our day. But he always wanted to learn. You could see that and... and yeah, when he became, see, when he went to Middlesbrough and was manager, it was no surprise at all. And then he got the under-21 job and then it was just an automatic, it was automatic that he was going to get the job. And he's he's done fantastic, you know. We saw so unlucky against Croatia in the semi a couple of years ago. And, you know, fingers crossed, bit of luck as well along the way. Hopefully, you know, uh, he can have a very, very good tournament. And after the showing on with the game the other day, you know, uh, against Croatia, where the lads done really, really well, and and you can see they've got a lot of respect for him as well. And the gate has got a lot of good stuff for them as well. And I always say that to anybody who becomes a manager, make sure you get the right stuff in alongside you, who you can trust, and and it was who were good at the job. So fingers crossed, we uh, we have a good tournament, and and it's good to see him doing really well. Do you see little bits of Brian in him with how measured and considered he is? I think so, definitely. And I think the gate would say that himself, probably with all the managers you've worked with, and, and, and it goes for us as well, you always take something out, good and bad. You know, you might not take everything, but you can say, yeah, he's very, very calm, is the gate. Uh, he always has been. And don't get me wrong, I think when there was things to say in the dressing room, he would say it, even when we played. And I'm sure he gets his point across now. But uh, just like the gaffer did, but for the managers he's played under, whoever he played under at Middlesbrough as well, and he's learned off off a lot as well, like we all do. Like I said, well, I promise I won't go through the whole team, but I was going to ask you about your experience of playing alongside uh, Paul McGrath as well, because obviously he goes down in folklore as as one, if not the greatest, at Villa. What what was he like as a teammate, Tommy? You know, come in, go on the bike for twelve minutes, ten, twelve minutes, and that would be him. And come in on a Friday and you join in with the five side and do set pieces. And then that would be him. An absolute Rolls Royce. You know, uh, he, the, his reading of the game was unbelievable. 
you know, there'd be times when you think he wasn't going to make it down the channel, but as I said, he's reading of the game. And he was no slouch, you know. Once he got into his stride, Maka was, was, you know, he was quick. But uh, an absolute pleasure to play with. And, you know, and you can see why the Villa fans call him God. He was uh, fantastic and and a great lad as well. Very, as I said, very, very quiet. But we used to have a card school, so that's when he used to come out of his shell a little bit. But uh, he was... Uh, it was an absolute. It was an absolute pleasure to play with him. Oh, I'm sure they wouldn't. But you think lesser players, people would have been frustrated if lesser players wouldn't have been able to train and would have got into the team. But because you knew what a genius that Maka was, managers can indulge him as much or as little as they need, can't well, they? I'm it. sure. No, you, you 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 knew what you were getting when you had Maka. You know, he's obviously everybody mentions his knees, and do you know as said to manage them, he, he, he didn't have to train, but it didn't matter because he went out. If he wasn't if he wasn't doing it on the pitch, then there would be a problem. But he was, week in, week out, without a shadow of doubt. And he didn't need training. Most of us need to train, you know, to keep your fitness up and to get up to the speed of games and all that. But Macken didn't. And who knows what, what he would have been like if his knees had been normal. No one would, you would never know. Probably 100 times better, but he might not have been as good as he was if he was training every day. Just a, a random one that I tend to ask most of our guests, and you might have an example, Rich. If you haven't, you don't need to clutch for one. But what's the most, what's the funniest incident or story or prank that you that you remember from your time at Villa? We've had Barry Bannon saying that one of his teammates took a dump in a football boot. Somebody stuck a, a fish in the back of Fabian Dolph's car, all that kind of nonsense. Is there anything that sticks in your mind from, from your time? That was that was just normal. Like I think in the dressing room it was it was a brutal place, Matt. God, yeah. Like we haven't mentioned Towner yet, Andy Town. One of the funniest blokes I've ever met in my life. Absolute hilarious Towner. So we had Towner, you go, me, Charlesy in that corner, drapes in that corner of uh, Buddy Mohi. At the far side you'd have Franz Franz, Mike Lokes, Maka, Righty. And then on this side, say you'd have Steve Staunton, Tails, Spinksy. We used to try, well, because we lived in Nottingham, we normally got in later than most of them. So, but it depend if you had some dodgy on gear, which you thought was like half decent, you'd get absolutely bad. It didn't matter what you were wearing or if it was made by Hugo Boss, Prada, Armani, could have been Primark, it wouldn't matter. You'd get absolutely battered. Uh, and the banter was, it, it's cutting. I think I was playing, I played in a golf day the other day and then I was, the lads who I was playing with, they were saying, what was it like? And I said, do you know what? Until you've been in a dressing room, you would think it was like abuse. Until you've actually been in a football dressing room, you wouldn't, you would think, oh my God, what's going on here? Because, and I said, when we meet up now, it's exactly the same. Like we haven't, obviously because of lockdown and the pandemic, we haven't seen each other. But when we do, it'll be exactly the same again. We'll just get absolutely battered. We hammer each other. And that whether that's the football mentality or not, or our era, it was just the way it was and it was hilarious and it didn't matter who you are. I think I come in one morning and I was ill. I was struggling a bit with a cold or man flu or whatever. And the gaffer sent us in uh, from training. And then because I wasn't my normal, jovial, happy self, I think Tails cut me 
the ends of my socks off. So I just I was putting my stuff on and then you just think, oh my God, here we go. But there'd be things hung up everywhere. If you had dodgy jeans on or a top, they'd be hung, you know, they'd be hung in the canteen, stuff like that, or in the waiting dressing room at Bodymore Heath. It was just... And as you said, as, as Barry said, yeah, you could stick a banana up your exhaust in the car. So when you went to turn it on and stuff, things like that. But there was always something kicking off. That was a thing. That's what made out... I know everybody says it, but that's that's what makes the dressing room there because of the banner. And if you can't take the banner, oh my poor you, you'd get it. Oh, you'd get it even more. <laughs> was there anybody who couldn't take it? No, nah, everyone was all right because you, you're given take. You're given. Obviously, you have your time when you're in a strop, but more or less, it was, uh, if it was your turn, you'd just shut your mouth. Even now, I'd shut my mouth, let them say what they've got to say. It's not hard, is it? I've got ginger hair, I'm a Geordie, I'm whiter than white. What chance have I got? <laughs> Matt, you know what I mean? As a, as a Villa fan with particular affection for that era, it's nice to hear that you're still, you know, probably mates for life, really, that you've still got these bonds with, with people. You might have only been, you know, in the same workplace with them for a couple of years, but they're proper, proper lifelong mates. Definitely, you know, I know it's sad to say, but obviously when Dalian and Hugo passed away, uh, there was a lot of us at the funerals from from our era and who played with them. And, you know, we, we always say we sh- it shouldn't be like that. It should We should be meeting up anyway. I sp- actually spoke to Towner about it and Drapes and Tails and the Gaffer. As you mentioned, it's 25 years since we, uh, since we won the, the League Cup. Why haven't we? I know because of the pandemic, it's very, very difficult and lockdown. But why haven't we had a little bit of a reunion? You know, so that's hopefully something we could do if obviously the restrictions go the way they think we're going to do, they're going to go within the next uh, month or six weeks. But uh, it'd be great to see see everyone again. You know, it would be, and as you said, it would be it would be like even like you've seen them yesterday. I was going to ask you, and I won't keep you much longer, Tommy, I promise. I was going to ask you about when you realised it was time to, to move on. Was that something that had been on your mind for a couple of months? Did it happen quickly or how did it come about? It happened quickly, Matt, to be honest. I think Derby had come back in first. And as you mentioned before, the relationship I had with the gaffer was unbelievable. You know, it was it was class. We could talk to each other about anything and still can't. And he said, Derby, Derby, he pulled us in at the training ground said, Derby have made a bid. We've accepted it. It's up to you. And for one reason or another, I didn't want to go back to Derby. And then a couple of weeks later, I think Rangers are coming for us first, but something had happened. And, you know, well, I'm glad it never happened, to be honest. And then the gaffer rang us up. He's probably relayed the story. The gaffer rang us up at home and he said, I, I need to see you. I need to speak to you. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done now? <laughs> You know, I've been a calf. No, so I went round his house. We sat and talked, and he said, "I've got to tell you, Celtic have come in for you. We've accepted the bid. It's over to you." And we just sat there for hours talking. And I've always, you know, he says, "I'll give you a new contract if you want it," and all that. And I said, "Gaff, I, I, I just regret it if I never went, Matt. That was, do you know what I mean? It was." It was there'd only be a, probably a few clubs that I would have left Villa for at the time. You know, I was enjoying my football, as you said. I wasn't a regular, but you know, when I did play, you know, I, the club was going places. You know, we'd won the cup, and as I mentioned before, the league. 
good squad, but I just thought I needed it. I needed to be playing probably more regular, and I thought I'd just regret it if I never went up to Celtic. I knew obviously about the history and the fans and and what it means to the to them and and the club. More or less guaranteed to be playing in Europe every year. Uh, but the gaffer was gaffer was fantastic, you know. And I've actually, as, as I said, I, I've done a, a podcast uh, with Villa during lockdown, and he actually showed me the gaffer getting interviewed and how we, our relationship was. And and he kept saying, "I just had to tell him. I had to tell him face to face at Celtic going for him because of the because of the way I felt for Tommy, which." Yeah, and I nearly broke down and cried. I was like, <laughs> I knew he liked. It. I didn't realise he liked us that much. But uh, the feelings, you know, if I've got anything to discuss, or if I ever needed to speak to the gaffer, I knew I knew he'd be there for us. So, how old were you when you when you moved up up to Celtic? Then, did you have family and family commitments by then? No, no, I was obviously my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, but no kids at the time. Uh, yeah, it was. It dragged out a bit, to be honest. The gaffer, I'd seen the gaffer, and then he, I said, shall I come in? Because I want to say it to everyone. He went, he went, no, I'll be done in a couple of hours. I went, all right, about four days later, I'd still haven't been sorted. I'm like, I'm like this. Any chance, gaffer? Because I had such a great relationship with the girls in the canteen, all the office staff, stuff like that. And I felt, you know, I just wanted to see them before I go over. It never materialised. Uh, eventually, it was done, and I just flew up. Uh, same again. Sport of Tommy Burns, God bless. You know, God rest his soul. I was sat in the uh, changing room with the gaffer, just speaking for hours and hours again about football, about the way he wanted to play, which I, I feel is very important. You've got to know who you're playing for and what they want to do. You know, so I always spoke to the managers first before before I signed for them. And once I'd obviously sat in the dressing room with Tommy Burns and telling us more about the club and going out and looking at the stadium how he wanted us to play and all that. Uh, it was a same when I went to Villa. All my clubs, I just wanted to sign and uh, and the gaffer gives his blessing. Uh, Brian and gives his blessing. Wondered what your experience was of, of Doug and whether whether you'd have got to got to meet and, and see Doug very often. <laughs> have you been speaking to anyone I know about? Because when I signed, it's quite funny. We'd gone down to Villa Park to sign the sport of the gaffer personally. Then we went into Doug's uh, Doug's room, uh, me and Charles, he still was sat there and just having a crack. And then, what, like, there was a knock at the door. And we went, God, who's that? So it was his secretary, I forgot her name. And Doug, as he is, Doug, oh, come in, yes, what is it? What is it? Uh, and she went, oh, I'm sorry to to uh, break up your meeting, Mr. Ellis, but uh, the company who look after your yacht have been on the phone and, and, and have said the hi fi's not working. So anyone who, th- all the younger viewers won't even know what a hi-fi is, will they? So, <laughs> what, what now? Something that plays music, a, a, a stereo system. So me and Charles, you're looking at each other, just laughing our heads off. Like, and, 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 and Mr. Doug just went there. Don't worry, just uh, tell him I'll give him a call soon when I finish. So uh, it was so set up, it was unbelievable. Uh, and that was just before we signed. But no, uh, apart from that, Matt, he was different class, you know, and I think if you look at the amount of owners and chairmen who are around nowadays, I think you'd have definitely, you'd have Doug Ellis up there as your chairman and some of the, uh, some of them who are knocking around now, shall we say. 
because he always supported his managers and staff and you know he invested in the club and the club had, although not over recent years apart from uh, getting promotion from the championship uh, they've been starved of success but what you can say about what you can't say about Doug is that he never had the club intentions at heart and he did invest in good stuff and a lot of money into the football club You've just reminded me of a story then when um, when Julier got the Villa job and I tried to get a number for Joe Vengloss because he was the first, the pre, the last previous foreign manager and I phoned Doug and Doug's answered the phone and he, he said, oh, let, let me let me just get my, let me just get my, my contact book. And he goes, Venables? No, you don't want him. Vokes is going through all these, his, his name dropping all the way down. I'm just, just glad I asked for a, a letter that was V rather than anything more common. But it's, it's, it's just typical Doug that was, isn't it? Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, a lot, lot of bravado. Yeah, he liked to know, like to know he probably he had a lot of money, but I can't fault him, you know, from the time that I was there. He was uh, it was no problem at all. We went over to we went round his house. I think one pre-season, chucked a party on for us, you know. And then I think we went abroad wherever it was, and we went round his villa, stuff like that. So yeah, no, I can't say there was any problems. I, I, I would imagine it was hard for the gaffer to deal with him at times, which you could well imagine. But uh, I think, uh, but the gaffer could. Gaffer could handle him. He would. He would know how to handle him. <laughs> well, all I want to do to finish off, Tommy, was to to thank you first of all for for giving us your time. To thank you for for the. It, it just seemed to be fun. They just maybe it's me being an old git, but it just seemed to be fun back then. Everybody was played with a smile on the face, and it just seemed to be a, a real adventure. Um, just probably what what want you to sum up without putting you on the spot. Just sum up. Your time at Villa, then, just with, with a message. Sounds sounds a bit as if I'm trying to get you to be a bit like Prime Minister here, but just with a message for for the Villa fans and what it meant for you to play for the club. Absolutely brilliant time. Loved it. Loved being a part of being a successful team in that era. You know, winning the cup as I mentioned, fourth and fifth in the league, playing for a very special man in Brian Little, Andy Staff, playing with great players and the camaraderie that we had on and off the pitch. And it breeded success. And as you mentioned, the fans were different class. You know, what was it 14, 15,000 in the Holt end singing your name? Not just there, though, but all around the ground. And very, very special time in my career. And, and you know, I'll always be grateful for the, for the time that I had there. And I've still got fond memories. And we've, we've talked about all the teammates who I played with. And, you know, we all more or less stay in touch with each other no that's brilliant just on behalf of, of, of Villa fans certainly Villa fans of my vintage it was really really exciting times really enjoyed it really in, enjoyed belting your name out from 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 the whole end back then and uh, glad to see you, that, you, that you're looking so well and you've still got a smile on your face just the usual Matt yes um, <laughs> yeah if you want us to do anything else give us a shout but uh, as I said special time and you know, doing stuff like this it's, uh, it's great because it brings back so many so many happy memories. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.